So welcome everybody to a, another episode of ongoing series called CASDA EdCast. Uh, today's topic is boundary crossing, which I find really interesting and I'm a little bit afraid to talk about because I don't know much about it. So I'm glad I have two wonderful guests with me to, to uh, help delve into this topic. Uh, I am Mike Piccarillo, Executive Director of CASDA. And with me today, I have um, the CTE principal for CAP Region BOCES Albany campus, Shalette Pleat. Shalette, welcome. Thank you. And I also have uh, principal and chief academic officer for CAP uh, for Tech Valley High School, uh, Amy Haraldcheck. Amy, welcome. Thanks, Thank and so uh, we're tackling the topic that. Honestly, until Shalette and Amy brought it to my attention, I hadn't really thought much about this notion of boundary crossing. And uh, it's a really interesting topic. I, I you know, read some articles, um, some research articles and have a better feel for it, but I really am interested in having the two of you kind of talk uh, with us about what is what does boundary crossing mean? And what are we referring to when we talk about boundaries and borders? What, what does that mean? And how does that kind of apply to the field of education? So uh, go ahead and, and start us off. Um, so Shalette, you and I can um, kind of go off each other and, and go back, bounce back and forth throughout the, the course of today. Um, but I'm wondering if I can start even by backing up, Mike, and um, think about the term code switching. Um, so code switching might be a term that more people are familiar with. Um, okay. It refers to the idea of how we speak to different people in different situations in our lives. So for example, you might speak differently to your friends while you're um, hanging out with your friends on a Friday night than you would if you were giving a presentation. Um, in a professional setting, for example. So the types of words that you use, um, even the way that you dress, um, but code switching typically refers specifically to language. Um, and so the concept of code switching um, really is a, a great entry point into thinking about border crossing and boundary crossing. Mm -hmm. So does that work for you? That does work for me. Because when I when I think about how we um, connect that to boundary crossing, it's it is taking that that next step forward. So when we talk about code switching as, as in terms of language and speech, boundary crossing is taking a whole nother level where it, it's literally every action, every thought, every next step in the process that can be exhausting. It actually is very exhausting at times um, because you always have to be five steps ahead. When you're when you're that person who's crossing those borders. So let's apply that to education and you know different roles that, that people play, teachers, administrators, students. What is what does that all kind of look like? I mean, I know it's pretty complicated, but let's start talking about that. How do let's let's kind of deconstruct that. What is that? What should we be talking about? Can I start, Abe? Sure. Okay. So when, when I think about through that lens as, as someone, as, as j just a woman of color who I can, as a student, as a teacher, then an administrator, um, boundary crossing has been something that's always been 
part of my every day. And almost to the point where you don't even realize it because you are so assimilated into the work and you don't even into the day-to-day -day norms that in, until you become more um, aware of this work and you start reflecting on what's happened in the past or in your future practices, you, you realize like this is what's actually going on. So when it we connect it to education, when a teacher, it, it's knowing that um, your students your scholars bring a lot to the table and you need to acknowledge that and, it, and it's it's affirming that it's it's more than just having a welcoming environment it is completely inclusive to where you know that they are truly seen and that means as a teacher um you got to put some work into that um and as an administrator it goes that five times um i would say more in depth because you also have to be fully aware as administrator of color for myself, I need to make sure that I am there and supporting not only my scholars and my staff of color, but I got to meet my teachers where they're at too, because we all know um, what our data shows about our administrators and our teachers of color. We're not there. I believe we're roughly 12% in the United States as a whole. Um, it's, and, and Amy, you can go more off of that, but it, it's, it's definitely making sure that you are taking the time to, to truly see your, your, your scholars, your staff, fully aware of their identities and um, acknowledging their identities and knowing that it's it's both their experiences racially and culturally that come to the table. So um, I think Shalette, you bring up some really important points. And to me, the idea of border boundary crossing in a school begs the question of anybody leading and working in the school is what are we asking of the people who interact in our school? And I'm referring to families, students, staff, administrators, teachers of all kinds. Are we asking for those students to um, assimilate and melt into the melting pot of our school, um, which to me gives the connotation of hiding their own identities in order to be the same as the, um, as the major and you know, dominant identities, whether it be race, whether it be gender, sexual orientation, uh, whether it be religion. So are we asking those people to melt and assimilate into our organization? Or are we asking them, are we telling um, all of the people that, inter that interact with our organization that um, their identity, um, like I said, in any form, that their identity is valued and that their identity is an important part of why the organization um, has value. Um, and so, you know, so then you look at what is the role. So what is the role of the student? Um, and what is the role of the teacher is to find value and get to know all of your students, get to know their identities. Um, the role of the leader in that school, in that school system, or that individual school is to create the environment where those identities are valued so that um, you can picture yourself for a moment um, as a student um, who perhaps doesn't celebrate Christmas and walks into school on December 15th um, and sees a lot of um, well-intentioned um, Santa Claus or Christmas tree, um, you know, how do they feel about crossing that border? Um, and what are the decisions that you're forcing that student to make throughout the course of their day in school? Um, so you're forcing them to decide whether they um, are hiding and assimilating their identity or whether they're sharing their identity and how comfortable they feel about that. As Shalette said, how much do our students feel valued, feel seen and heard within the classroom and within the building as a whole? So it makes me think, you know, as I was listening to both of you, it makes me think that 
it makes me ask the question, so what's the purpose of education? You know, because you brought up the point, Amy, about assimilation, you know, the melting pot, is that, is that what we're about? And as a, you know, as an institution, as an organization, as a, as a major piece of society, or is it, a, is it about something else? And, you know, I, I, I don't know that we necessarily need to go down that path too deeply in this particular conversation, but it does make me wonder. And then it also makes me wonder, you know, about, so do certain people have more borders to cross, you know, within the educational environment than other people? And why is that? Why, why you know, is that, is that a result of this, this structure that you mentioned, you know, certain dominating structure that exists and certain people who fit into that versus other people who are not seen as fitting into that? Can we talk a little bit more about, you know, who's, who's crossing borders, how much border crossing needs to, is occurring and why does that happen? Mike, I think you bring up a really great point about the intersectionality of our identities. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was, Shalette, that was what came to my mind immediately. Um, you know, as I think of myself um, and I break down my identities, um, you know, as a white upper middle class woman, as a white upper middle class heterosexual Jewish woman, um, you know, all of these pieces to my identity start, start coming forward. Um, and some of my, some of my identities um, fit right in um, and I don't have to change any piece of my identity or cross a border to enter my school. And some of them I do. Um, and sometimes I cross a border in one school, but perhaps not in another. Right. What do you think, Shalette? I think I would echo that. Um, it's no surprise to me that um, some of the most dominant, um, uh, how do I say this? Your identity, some of your identities, most dominant identities actually fit into like what the data shows you. So your, your, your white male, if you're identified as a white male, you don't probably have as many borders to cross as, as just women in general. Um, but even women of color, how many borders we have to cross versus just a woman who identifies as white. Or in, in Amy's case, um, a woman who identifies as white, middle class, and Jewish versus me, a woman who identifies as multiracial, lower middle class, brought up in a poor socioeconomic status. And like, so it, it all falls down to those, um, as our education system likes to call those reportable groups as well. It tends mm -hmm. to be those same groups that have the most borders to cross. And Amy and I talk about this a lot too, because we also share some um, equity work in, in, in our organizations as well. And um, she, she's one of my, my friends outside of the organization where we can have some real honest conversations. And a lot of that is I, I get to share with her how exhausting the border crossing is for me sometimes. And those experiences that I can share with, um, that I am I, I able to share with her. Um, because I, we have been forced, and I say that, but the people who identify with um, race, sexuality, identities that they've chosen to identify with, we know we have to cross these borders. So myself coming into work every day, as a, um, I know which borders I'm getting ready for. 
I know sometimes I'm hit up with a brand new one. <laughs> mm -hmm. I always have to be ready. I always have to be on my toes. And the conversations I have with some of my staff is um, the dominoes are always falling in my head because I'm always about that what if scenario. So for that, that, that person that is crossing those borders on a daily and have been forced to assimilate pretty much on a daily, that is how our mind works because we, we're always trying to make sure that we are doing what's supposed to be expected while also we're be, our moral compasses are being pulled like crazy um, because you're, you're, you're always in that tug and pull, always. And Shalette, that just, um, my mind just keeps turning um, you know, I'm listening, listening to what you're saying and, and thinking about the role of leaders and educators as we, um, as we help our school become a place where people are seen and those boundary crossings will never be easy, will never be simple and we're, we're, they will always be there, but what can we do to help, um, help our staff, help our students, help our families with that act of border crossing? And that is a huge part, Mike, like you said, like, what do we do as a school? What is right. the role of our educators? Um, and, you know, we've been talking, Shalette, about um, our identities that people can see, uh, right. but there are other identities that cause us to cross borders that are hidden um, that sometimes we can choose to share with people and choose not to. And I think that, um, the idea, Shalette, that you and I are able to have those conversations, um, my hope is that it makes it easier to cross some borders when you have a trusted person right. to talk to about them. And please know that act as a school leader is also crossing a border because you know it's you know it's the right work and you know it's the good work, but you know that everybody's with you. And, and it's trying to make sure that this is not just a checkbox item, that this is the work that needs to be done. And I can only speak for the, um, um, the conversations I've been privileged and the opportunity I've been able to have to have some honest dialogue. I, I perceive as honest dialogue from, from, from others that um, that act in itself to do this work and make sure that as the leader, we are modeling what we're expecting is itself an act of crossing a border um, to move forward. Well, and some of the things that I've been reading, you know, the, the dialogue, I think, you know, it seems to me from what I've been reading that, that the dialogue is an important piece of this process, you know, to, to cross the borders with your dialogue, um, you know, with other people uh, and talking about these, you know, these situations that seem so to me, you know, as I'm listening, seems so, so stressful and almost, you know, uh, and maybe trauma inducing in, in many respects mm -hmm. on a regular basis, which then makes me think, how do you do, how do you ultimately succeed in roles that are already stressful roles to begin with when you have this added situation, you know, of, of the pressures that to, to maybe not cross um, borders uh, or to challenge your own moral compass in the role in which you are kind of playing and how that really, you know, creates a whole other level of stress that you may or may not be able to talk to anybody about. Yeah. That's, that's got to be really difficult to deal with. And, and, and as, and I'll be perfectly frank for the listener, because, you know, they can't see 
us, but I'm a white male. And I don't, I, as I'm listening, I'm thinking to myself, I don't think probably my, the reason why I never really thought much about border crossing is because I don't think about it because as a white male, I don't have to think about it that much. I mean, I, I, I know I'm crossing borders every day, but not to the, not in a way and to the degree that both of you are certainly. And so it's eye-opening. And then I think this has got to be really stressful and I'm already stressed in my regular life. I can't imagine adding this other constant layer of stress. So. Well, it's interesting that you say that because Amy and I actually talk a lot about, we, 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 if you haven't guessed, Amy and I talk a lot. Um, we, but we enjoy this company and we are very passionate about um, this work too. But the how you ultimately succeed, I, I think that is, it's, I guess, subjective too. Like what, how do you define success when you're talking mm -hmm. about this work too? But um, I think at the end of the day, if we don't address this work and we don't have these conversations and we don't create those paths for open dialogue, we've just literally co-signed the, the, the nonsense in my opinion. Um, and, and, and we're not here to do that. So by continually to open the door and have those conversations and trying our best to create the atmosphere that it is okay to have these conversations. It is not a demerit. We need these um, to be a, a successful, I guess is the word we're, we're going to use for an educator. How are you going to have these conversations with your scholars if, if you're not open to have the conversation yourselves? Um, so it's almost like that, again, that act of being seen, um, knowing that we have to have this, we have to have this conversation, we have to do this work, because then I, in my opinion, I can't speak for Amy, just being able to put your best foot forward to do this work is a definition of success. Closing the door, not acknowledging it, um, finding a way to rationalize some excuse of why we don't need to have these conversations is not success. Yeah, well, and, and I think that that's part of the culture of education is to kind of define, to define conversations and make them almost like um, intellectually sterile. Like, you know, you can only talk about these things when you're in a school environment. And you, well, that's safe. Right. And safe exactly. as a neat little package. <laughs> no. Yeah, and, and but that's but but I mean I think that's what we have discovered mm -hmm. is one of the huge flaws of public education is that it has you know and, and maybe we can we can say it's the factory model however we want to describe it but it is very you know it, it's very about much about keeping things in tidy, nice, neat little packages so that we don't have to deal with what r real life is, which is kind of messy and, and things kind of spill over into each other and we've got to figure those things out. We don't want to address that in public education. We just want it to be in these, these discrete units. It's like the way we schedule a day. It's like the way, you know, typically. Now you both work in environments where the schedule is not necessarily adhered to in the traditional sense that schedules are in schools, but in most schools, it's very, you know, structured, right? And it's structured purposefully. Right. And, and I, you know what, I might even, I, I might even go back to, you know, what's the purpose of education? And this is, this right. is the great debate um, that as we are coming out of a year and a half of COVID schooling, 
Um, you know, what's the purpose of education? Is it to, is it to, you know, help the develop a workforce, right? The purpose of, you know, P12 education is we're developing a workforce or is it the human connection? Is it to um, meet the students where they are and help them find their passions, career pathways and help prepare them for what their future looks like, whatever that is. Um, and, you know, I think one would argue that boundary crossing looks different at the different levels. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes, you know, in engaging in these conversations, I find that, um, you know, at the secondary level, um, you, you might have educators who are more comfortable having those discussions with students. Um, like I said, just in my own experience, um, whereas I've come up with a lot of roadblocks and questions as to what's appropriate to speak with, you know, different age levels of students when it comes to their own boundary crossing, their own identities in school and their own experiences. Um, and so how do we, how do we as educators at all levels acknowledge and, and get to know genuinely the students that walk into our schools and the staff who work in our schools? Because I would argue that it's just as important right. for our staff to feel comfortable as it is for our students to feel comfortable. Agreed. Because well, you leave so much at the door. We don't want our staff to leave so much at the door. We don't want our scholars to leave so much. We want you to come with your whole authentic self. And that just reminds me too of like, we always talk about, we want to educate the whole child, but do we really? Because that's what this is really about. Like you're talking about the whole child, let's break it down because this encompasses the whole child. But I, it, it's one of those things. I don't think we, we, I think we say it. There's not a lot of us that are really doing it because of that fear of um, having some real conversations of it. It might get a little messy, but then as an organization, what, what structures do we put in place to support when it gets a little messy to make sure our teachers and our administrators feel comfortable enough to take this leap? And how do we as how do we as leaders to let, you know, as you and I both lead our buildings, um, how do we support our teachers? Because as we we use the word messy a lot um, mm -hmm. when we talk about race and equity um, and as it relates to asking our students and our staff to bring them, their whole selves into our schools. Um, into their experiences, um, things will get messy. You know, it's right. not really a question. You can assume that because it's human. It's the human experience. And the human experience is messy when we mix ourselves all together, right? Um, but even and that so, needs to be valued. We exactly. need to value and accept the fact, no assumptions, we're human. We are all human, but we're gonna have a common goal at the end of this conversation. We will. And so, um, so how do you as a leader become the kind of leader that teachers feel comfortable taking those risks with and students feel comfortable taking those risks with because you accept the messiness and you appreciate the messiness of the interactions that happen within your school. Well, and I think you even have to expand that out to the community, right? right. Parents in the community, right? Because, because now more than ever, <clears throat> the community is playing a huge role in how how certain issues play out in a school system, right? I mean, we're seeing that now with, with the, the push towards equity, inclusivity, and diversity, you know, through the Board of Regents framework, uh, sample framework that was put out through the New York State School Board Association uh, sample policy on equity, diversity, inclusivity. You know, you're seeing pushback from people in communities 
who are saying, why do we need this? This is, you know, this is not, this is, you know, this, it, 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 it's uh, in some respects, they, there is a feeling among some people that, that uh, things are going too far, you know, whatever. I'm not really sure exactly what that means, but, you know, how do you, how do you help people? First of all, I think you have to define what are the risks people think they're taking by doing this kind of work and by, you know, by being open to these kinds of conversations. And then how do you get them to the point of being willing to participate in these types of conversations about boundary crossing? Because, you know, if I, if I feel I have a lot to lose, why would I participate in it? Why wouldn't I try to just block it? Right. I mean, that seems to be that seems to be the traditional approach by people if they don't like something. Right. I don't like it. And I think I, I risk losing something that I have control, power, whatever. I'm going to block it. I'm going to find ways to keep it from happening. So what's that situation look like? What's that conversation look like? And I, I find that fear of loss is often because the visual of the pieces of the pie right? That, um, you know, your educational experience, there's only so much educational experience that a school district can, um, can provide, and therefore it's a piece of a pie. And if everybody's getting an even piece of the pie, that means your risk is you're losing part of your piece of the pie. Um, and that, that not everybody has an even piece of the pie, and you're worried about what you're going to lose. Um, There's so many visuals and, um, and, and analogies here. I think, Shalette, we've seen so many, right? Well, yeah, agree. But I also think it's a, how do you demystify that for people? How, how do you how do you get them to to trust in you enough to have a conversation that that this is not judgment. Let's let's figure out what's really going on, and then take the time to really try to demystify any any myths or perceptions. Or because remember, perception is reality. Um, so they will find value. And so so like the teacher in, in me tends to come out like I got to find a way to hook the scholar because they're not buying in right now. So it's like that mentality is, is always and forever constant. It needs to be. And then also realize that it's not about fixing people. I'm not gonna fix the, I'm not looking to fix um, the person who doesn't believe in this work or feel that value, but I am gonna see if I can get them to value, find something to value in so they can be an active participant. Because at the end of the day, that person's voice is still very important and we need them at the table to help make any plans moving forward because um, sometimes they speak for a, a good amount of people, a good majority of people. And the fact that they're being vulnerable, vulnerable enough to share with us their feelings and share with us, that, listen, I have a, I feel like I got a lot to lose in here. I don't want to participate. That act in itself is actually participating. So like they, they were vulnerable enough to share that with us and that needs to be acknowledged and, and, and accepted. So how do you create the conditions to provide people the opportunity to have a positive experience with <clears throat> having these, these important dialogues. What do you, what, what would you suggest? Can't speak for Amy, <laughs> but we don't Either need a lot of shillettes running around, but um, <laughs> I, can, would be great. I can only speak. I've been blessed with some fantastic mentors and, and I, I give a lot of credit to my mom as well, but it's really, I have to model what I'm asking. I have to create those conditions where it can be a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And sometimes it's on their playing field. Um, 
I, I can't just say active listening and not do it. So my actions are going to speak louder than anything else I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And and I also have to be fully aware it's not going to happen overnight. So I am fully aware that I'm a zero to 60 person. Some of my mentors have pointed that out to me because I, I see the change that needs to happen. Some of it is, is decades, decades old, and I just want it fixed. But even I have to tell myself it doesn't happen overnight. That relationship building doesn't happen overnight. People have to trust me to be able to have an honest conversation about those next steps and move forward. So, and I have to be able to create that path and create that, that space where they can feel vulnerable enough to say, you know what, Shelley, I just don't believe in this work. Because I think that in itself is huge. Thank you for sharing that with me. Okay, so let's figure out why. And we plan. It's a slow stepping pace, but I have to create those conditions and I have to model it. So it's funny that you said zero to, you know, you like, you like things to happen zero to 60. I like change to happen yesterday. You know, when I, <laughs> um, so we get along so well. It is, it is. And, you know, especially something that you're so passionate about. And when I work with students and staff who don't feel seen and who don't feel heard, um, it creates that urgency bubble inside of me um, that makes me feel like, why, why aren't we already like this? But I think, you know, Mike, to get to your question of how do you do it? Um, it takes a lot of individual time and work and individual conversation, similar to the one that Chalette was talking about, um, in order to find out why people aren't on board. And, um, and I think the tough part is that acknowledgement that um, you're not going to get everybody right away, even though you're passionate about it. And even though um, it's a gut punch, like when Chalette, when you just said that somebody wasn't on board, it's a gut punch to me. I can mm -hmm. feel it. Um, but I think that um, mobilizing students and hearing those personal experiences, we talk a lot about intent versus impact and perception and reality um, and helping people understand that even if you don't experience something doesn't mean it doesn't happen or doesn't exist right. or that other people's experiences are different from your own. And that is for many people, a, um, a hard lesson to learn. Um, and so, you know, I know Shalette, in one of our many conversations, we talked about like, how, how do you, um, how do you create that condition for border crossing to be um, positive? You don't, you create a supportive environment with that trusted adult, with those mentors, so that when, not if, but when border crossing is a difficult situation, you have someone to talk to about it, that you can just come and say, man, this was, an, this was an extra hard day. I cross borders every day, but today, man, it was, it was harder. Um, and this is why. And for someone to be there and say, whew, I'm right here with you. Mm -hmm. um, and especially in a larger organization, it's, it's hard. Um, and it takes a lot of time, which is why you have to really believe in the work because you have to carve out the time. Right. And it's, it's gotta uh, be a priority. It has to be a priority. You have to make to the commitment. And you know, I know like when I make the, um, when I make the comparison to my personal life, if someone asks me if I can do something and I'll say no, and then I'll say, well, if I move some things around, um, you know, I think this is important. I can make it work. And when something is important, um, you make it work, right, Shalette? That's right. <laughs> but we, we talk about that a lot too because um, it's prioritizing and then actually doing it 
that speaks so much. It shows that you're you're really about this work and you're into it. So there's been there's there's times we've all had those times where we get so excited about the work that's happening and then a meeting gets canceled or something happens. So for 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 some of us who are always crossing those borders, that's just like another cut. You know, we talk about like a death by a thousand cuts. That's just like another cut, like, ooh, I thought this work was a priority type of thing. And it doesn't matter that there could have been like a rational answer why. It's just and that action in itself has spoken a lot. And um, so we want to make sure that we are modeling and our actions speak louder than words. And this is definitely a priority. And it's everything comes back to that. So it sounds like a person-to-person -person kind of process. <clears throat> but when I put my executive director for CASDA hat on, I try to think about, well, you know, how would we, how would CASDA, for example, as an organization, how would we put together a valuable experience for educators to become comfortable with and to become um, uh, better able to work through this experience of boundary crossing in a positive way, in a way that's going to, to not only make them better people, but also the people that they are interacting with. What would that look like? Like, how could we do something to, to help move this uh, process forward on a larger scale? Even though I know that it, it's really kind of a, it's almost a personal kind of one-to-one -one type of process in some respects. But do you see any application for that on a larger scale? And what would that look like? I see you shaking your head, Amy. What, what would that look like? No, I do. You know, um, I think of a number of different things. You know, first, I think there are many people that are out there on islands um, and being the champions of support and of this work in their different organizations. Um, and it's very hard to be an island. Um, and so, you know, as one of the purposes that I see CAS as is a connector, um, connecting people from different, um, different organizations within the region, you could be the connector of those islands and have them come together so that not everybody has to reinvent the wheel. Right. And share their experiences, share their ups, share their downs. And sometimes the downs are more important than the ups to share, right? Mm -hmm. um, give them a sounding board. Um, and then, you know, and then the, the second fold is when you have an organization who really hasn't, um, hasn't taken the work systematically yet um, and only has those islands. Um, and so you work with them and say, okay, let's think systematically and help with that equity audit work, which is so important um, to hold that mirror up to the organization. And sometimes it's, it's important to have an outside, um, outside viewer from the organization to be able to hold that mirror up and say, I'm going to help you with your equity audit right. and um, we're going to analyze it together and figure out, you know, where are the needs, where are the strengths importantly, and where are the needs of your organization? So those are just two, I mean, two quick in my head ideas. I would echo all of that. And I could, I could see it branching off to, um, to affinity groups of sorts too, of like Absolutely. districts, of like um, organizations to support that work even breaking it down to the affinity groups that might just be what, what leadership hat you wear and then bringing them together to do some planning and problem solving to review even those equity audits of sorts. Okay, so it's 
so much can happen when we come together. I think that's the, the gist I get of all of this is having those communications open and then everyone coming together to have some great dialogue and planning. And so well, there's no one size, not a one size fits all. No, and I love the idea of affinity groups because I think in many of our organizations, those affinity groups would be so small. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some organizations could have, um, could have their own affinity group meet within that one organization. But I think as a region, there are so many places um, that would need somebody else to reach out to. Um, and I, I think that would be a great, um, that would be of great value. I think your idea of having it be a sounding board is, is goes really well with that because the whole thing too with affinity groups is you, you feel safe enough to share. You feel, and, and that's empowering as well. So knowing that it's it's not evaluative, it's not this, it, this is just to help not only you yourself as a person, as a leader, as a learner, but your organization as a whole is, is, is huge. And, you know, I think, have you read Beverly Daniel Tatum's book? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so, you know, I think I always go back to that. Uh, Mike, have you read her book, Why Do All the Black Kids Sit Together in the Cafeteria? I've read some of it, yes. I have, I have not read the whole book. Yeah, highly recommend. And also, you know, if, if you haven't read the book, I would highly recommend even just watching some of her um, speeches on YouTube, speeches and interviews with her. Um, she's just fabulous to listen to. But really, that's where the affinity group hits me in the heart, um, mm -hmm. is that there might be this judgment of why do you have to have a separate group? But it is really important because you can be genuine and authentic. And, you know, I know another thing, Shlet, that I've talked to you about is when we do when we do the important work, um, everybody's in a different place, right? Um, and you know sometimes you can have one workshop, um, and um, the people who aren't quite on board yet or don't really you know see the value at this point in time might really need that beginner's toe dipping um, workshop, but um, for you and I, Shalette, or, you know, or others who have been leading the work, um, they might need something different. And that's where that affinity group comes in. And you can really do a deep dive um, with some articles and some books and um, personal experiences, um, I think would really go a long way to um, helping people feel supported in an authentic way. I mean, on a cultural level, it, it, it what we're talking about almost and what you, you both just you know, talked about and, and explained and discussed it very well. It's, it's, all, it's so counter to what we do in education. You know, when you think about how we teach kids, you know, we have the expectation that, you know, everybody in the classroom is going to have learned something at a certain point in time, have mastered it at a certain place, a certain point in time, and then we move on. But the reality is in this kind of work, which is you know, kind of more aligned to real life. In real life, everybody's at different points, places in, in their learning, everybody's at different places in their way of thinking. And you, you really have to embrace that and help people to move forward from where they are versus expecting them to be at a certain place at a certain point in time. And if they're not, well, too bad, we're gonna move forward anyways, because you know, we, can't, we don't have time to wait for you to catch up, so to speak. Right. You know, it's an interesting, it's, it's, it's almost like everything that we talk about that is ultimately good for people in terms of their development and as, as human beings is counter to what we do 
in, in the traditional educational process, which is, you know, almost intentionally to create these borders and to make it uncomfortable to cross them and to and, and not only uncomfortable, incredibly difficult. The system uh, is perfectly and, designed yeah. for, <laughs> you know, for that. You know, and it's like, and then, and then when we talk about doing things in a different way, we, we, we talk about how we have to, we have to, you know, uh, value that people are, are at different places and we have to, you know, help them to move forward. And it's like, so it's, it's like, there's this, this inherent conflict between what we would do in real life in, in terms of how we would operate as human beings versus what we do in public education and how we educate and, and not only educate kids, but how adults operate within that environment. I, I, I'm not going to lie, Dr. Mike. It's probably why I love this work even more because I like that we're, we break the rules a little bit to show that this is now how it works in the real world. So I can speak for like my, my own personal experience as um, I'm one of six, a family, um, my mom and father were divorced. My father was incarcerated. My mom's raising us by herself. I end up dropping out of high school. So now I've already hit all these statistics of what I'm supposed to be like in life. But I'm trying to GED and I'm still going, I'm still going, I'm still going. But it's, I constantly use those perceptions of what is supposed to be happening in education and how scholars are supposed to be learning to what my experiences have been and, and how you can keep pushing and crossing those borders, which are head held high. It's exhausting, but you can do it because you are going to be successful. You're just going to define that. You're, you're going to have to define it sometimes on your own, or you have people and allies like Miss Amy and you, Dr. Mike and Kaza, to show, help shine that light to show, no, there are other ways to get this done. Um, so it's appreciated. So I think, again, that's why this sounding board is so needed. So there, I know I'm not the only one. I got scholars on my campus left and right that have stories even, even more intense than mine. But I want them to know every day that I will help you cross this border. We will get through this because you are a success and you will continue to be a success. Well, well said, put. Yeah. really well said, really well said. And, you know, and I, um, as we're focusing on the idea of border crossing, um, as we're, you know, thinking about next steps and how we help organizations and how we help our own organizations, one worry that I have is as we are, um, as we're, you know, doing the work of equity and anti-racism, making sure that the work itself doesn't force people to cross boundaries. Right. And like you said, Mike, the work itself sh shouldn't be traumatizing. If yeah. we're looking to break down walls that have been up and break down the walls of the system and the barriers, we shouldn't be re-traumatizing in the process. Right. At the same time, we have to acknowledge that that might happen. Mm -hmm. And how do we help ourselves become aware of everyone's experiences? There's a quantitative study that I think was just released yesterday by um, Black Teacher Collaborative, and it talks about some of this. The, the research is about something different, but some of the findings and some of the resources and supports actually speak to this work as well. I think I retweeted it. Yes, I saw. And I would also be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Samantha Fletcher, who's a recent, oh, yeah. who's a recent fellow Harvard Ed School alum. 
Um, she uh, started a podcast um, this fall called Daily Border Crossings. Um, oh, wow. and, you know, it's always been something that I've thought of, but, um, but her podcast really made me think a little bit more about border crossings and how we could incorporate um, a better understanding of border crossing in our work. So it's called Daily Border Crossings. It's available on, you know, Apple Podcasts yep. and Spotify, podcast. everywhere, everywhere you might find it. That's awesome. Oh, that sounds that sounds really good. So, you know, we're we're kind of to a point of maybe wrapping things up a little bit. I know we we there's probably a million other things that we could talk about related to this topic. And maybe that means that we'll have to come back again and talk some more, which is yeah, which definitely. is fine with me. I hope I hope that's the case for both of you as well. I, so it's been a great conversation. Uh, any any last thoughts that you want to leave our listeners with? Any any um, things that we didn't cover that maybe you know, even though we w- we don't have a, a ton of time, that you might want to hit on before we close things out. I guess for me, it's it's just I'm excited to have this opportunity, so Amy and I could um could share some of our thoughts <laughs> and um some of the work we're passionate about. So we appreciate the partnership and um and extending this invitation. So thank you, Dr. Mike. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Yeah, I um, completely echo Shalette's thoughts. It's been great. Every chance I get to collaborate with Shalette, I'm a happy person, um, and you as well, Mike. Um, but I also uh, really appreciate the partnership, and like I said, the idea of CASDA being a place that can connect um, that connect uh, the school districts in our region and the work that we're all doing together um, so that we don't have to be an island. So I appreciate not being an island. So thank you, guys. Well, no, I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. We this is a this is a great team, and we're we're Casa. Uh, speaking for Casa, we're incredibly excited about the the partnerships that we're developing with uh, both of you and and with your organizations, and we want to continue that. And I don't know exactly what it'll look like. Other podcasts. Uh, roundtables, other things that we can do certainly going forward, but there definitely will be some things going forward. So I, I say to the listener, uh, stay tuned because we're going to be we're going to be coming back to this topic uh, multiple times in different ways. And again, thank you to Amy and Shalette for joining me today, uh, and uh, to the listener, uh, you know. We gave you a lot to think about. So, you know, I think this is something for you to chew on a little bit. And we will be back again sometime in the near future with another CASDA EdCast. Uh, and uh, we'll be talking about border crossing and boundary crossing and border objects and boundary objects and all kinds of cool things like that. So stay tuned, take care, and talk to you soon.